Well, good evening, everybody, and it's I am just as excited as you are to be in church today and to receive together. And I met Chris a few years ago at a pastor's summit, and the Lord just has us continuing to interconnect ever since then. He's a personal friend of mine, and uh, he has a really interesting background, especially in the military. But to me, what's far more interesting is what the Lord is doing with him now and what he's doing at Calvary Chapel Frontlines and the people there in Arkansas and how the Lord is using each and every one of us on our journey to glorify his name. And so that's the thing I, I'm really excited about. And let's all welcome him up here as he leads us in the word this evening. Oh, good evening. Um, like Mike said, our paths have been crossing for the last few years, and it's it's been interesting, um, to say the least. Last year was the first time in a long time. I, I originally came from Calvary Chapel, North Carolina, and had the opportunity to go to the men's conference in Lexington again. And my assistant pastor and I sat in the car for the longest time realizing, man, we don't really know anybody in this area, and we were super uncomfortable to get out of the car and start mingling with people because, you know, men of God get uncomfortable and scared, right? Yeah, we do. It happens because we rely on ourselves, and that's when we get all scared. And so we prayed because that is what men of God do. We're like, okay, Lord, we're, we're actually really nervous getting out there, not knowing anybody. And I kid you not, as soon as we stepped out of the car, I hear Mike go, hey, and he's right behind us walking up. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> He sent somebody that we knew. <laughs> um, and then it was, I don't know how many months ago, but I have a, a daughter that I lost contact in relationship with for many years, seven years to be exact, since the last time we had seen each other. And she's stationed here. And I called Mike up and I was like, hey, so my daughter stationed in Beaufort, and I didn't even get the rest of the sentence out. And it's like, what do you need? Do I need to go get her? Do we need to send someone there? And I'm like, that's a pastor's heart. And so between things like that and hanging out in the parking lot of a fried chicken place in South Carolina, I feel at home here. And so tonight, um, what the Lord has given me to share with you is Ephesians uh, chapter 1. I'm not going to go over the introduction. I'm going to go over the run-on sentence it's one of the two longest run-on sentence, sentences in all of written history, both written by Paul. And the first one is verses 3 through 14. That's what I'm hoping to cover with you tonight. The second one starts in verse 15, and, and he goes on. Um, but my biggest reason why is as I read this and, and studied about this, and what the Lord really put on my heart was how encouraging it is to see how much he cares about us, how much he loves us, and everything that he has done, is doing, and will continue to do, and then the promises that he's made. And so we'll, we'll start out verses 3 through 6, and we'll, we'll look at God's plan, and then we'll pick up in 7 through 12, and we're going to look at the, the work and ministry of Christ, and then we're going to pick up in the last two verses of 13 and 14, and we're going to see the promise and the seal that comes from the Holy Spirit. And to me, when we were singing those worship songs, I was like, how fitting. It's 
it's exactly like that. So if you will, follow me in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day that we get to gather in Your church. Lord, as as the body of Christ, that we can be together and read Your Word and see what it is that that You have for us today. Lord, it is my prayer that Your Spirit teach us, that we would come to a a deeper relationship with You, a a greater understanding of You. Lord, that we would just come closer to You. And that through this teaching, we would We would know better how to align our lives with your will, that you would be able to use us for your purposes, that we could be a light in this world and a reflection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So, right off the bat, we're we're in Ephesians and, and actually sitting back talking in the office earlier today, and I was in Ephesus a little less than a year ago. And I was really hoping, it, it, if you don't know, you go to Turkey, and like 70-plus percent of the New Testament took place in Turkey, Greece, and, and, and Rome. And so it's the poor man's Israel trip. And if you go in December, it is truly the poor man's Israel trip because it's the worst weather possible so nobody plans to go there. So it was ridiculous how cheap it was to fly there. It was $30 for a four-star hotel room. I mean, and then there was $30 flights flying around. It, it was insane. But the crazy thing was it was sunny and warm. Every day that I was there, I went through the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And as we were exiting Ephesus, which was the last one that we had to look at, the bottom fell out. And it just started pouring down rain, and it didn't stop until I flew out of it. And I was like, wow, thank you, Lord. I got to go to all of the seven churches, and you didn't let it rain until we were done. But what I didn't feel there was what I heard everybody else talk about in Jerusalem and going over to Israel. And they, they could just sense the presence of God being so much stronger there. And as I walked around in Ephesus, I was really thinking, like, this, this will be it. I really feel I can't wait to go to the theater where they were all chanting and, and they wanted Paul to be brought in there because of all of the destruction that he had done to their lifestyle. Because if you remember in, in the book of Acts, when we read, Paul had such an impact his second time coming in there where he spent two years that people were bringing all of their books of, of witchcraft and sorcery and they were burning them. They were bringing the idols and burning them. People were coming to Christ because... Paul was being obedient to the leaning of the Holy Spirit. And that was ruining their bottom line for the market there. And if you don't know, it was the banking capital of the world at that time because it it was at the end of the original Silk Road, if you will. 
trade was going on there. They were incredibly rich there, and they had the, the, the temple that was there, and they were selling the little um, goddess of Diana memorabilia made out of silver by the silversmiths. And with a lot of that money that they were making, they were dredging out the harbor because there's a river that dumps right in there. And if you go there today and you realize, you're like, wait a minute, Paul like walked right to the sea. like It, it was a seaport. It was there. And you look off way in the distance from supposedly Mary's last house. It's 15 kilometers away to the ocean. And it's like, well, how did that happen? Well, all the silt eventually built up, and it's now that far away. But it used to be a port town, and they used that money to dredge it out. And that's how they kept the income coming in with with the trade. But there was a movement of Christianity that was taking place there. And so all it took was a man that realized his purpose which that was in the greeting, and, I, and I, I skipped that, where he does say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And you know, every one of us as, as believers or a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And so all he did was he went in there doing exactly what the will of God was. He was spreading the message of Jesus Christ. And he starts off in the beginning of this letter that he's writing when he's in chains, once again, imprisoned, and he, he writes a couple of letters out there. He writes the one to Philemon. He, he writes to the church in Colossae, and he, he writes to the church in Ephesus. He starts out with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And just right there, one of the greatest things that we see, we forget about this. I do all the time. I'm the biggest knucklehead that God has serving him. I'm so stubborn, and I forget all these things. And if you've ever been like me, and you get stubborn, and you forget this, maybe this will help you. We have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I love how Paul so fittingly was led by the Spirit to add in there, in Christ. Because where is Christ? He's in us. So we have every spiritual blessing at our fingertips at all times. There's At no point in time are we without the spiritual blessing and the, the needs to accomplish that which God sends us out to accomplish. There are plenty of times we may get nervous. No, Lord, I don't want to talk to... That person? Believe it or not, I'm a pastor and I'm an introvert. Sitting down with Mike today, he'd be like, whatever, man, you'd never shut up. And I'm so blessed that after four some odd years of going out and being a senior pastor in Arkansas, that there was a guy that had seen me in trail life that I do with my son for over two years. And he ended up coming to our church. And he was like, it's so weird seeing you up there. Talking. What do you mean? He's like, I've seen you for like two, two and a half years in trail life, and you try to blend into the paint in the wall and never say a word. I'm like, I know. I'm so uncomfortable there. I don't want to say anything. He's like, how how can you get up and speak? Well, there's times that the Holy Spirit tells me, hey, talk to that person. (laughs) No. I don't want to do that. No, talk to him, Chris. 
Why do you make me do this, Lord? I know you don't have the power, but I can give it to you. The worst is, love that person. What? Have you seen them? He's like, have you seen you? Oh, that's fair enough. He's like, love that person. But they don't look very lovable. But we've been given a new heart. We've been given the the ability to actually reach into the the spiritual, the the change that God has made in us, and we can can love those that are unlovable. We talked about, um, we, we had to, Revamp things. And it's good to get a fresh take as a church. And so we, we looked at our vision and our mission statement, and we changed it around. And, of course, Pastor Mike held my feet to the fire. He's like, what is it, and how are you doing it? I'm like, oh. Well, we looked at what the Holy Spirit was leading us to do, and that was to reach the least, the last, and the looked over. He's like, how are you doing that? And, well, we've been partnering with different groups. That will do it. And I've, I've had recent experiences where only because I can tap into going, okay, well, I don't have a clue what I'm doing right now. Have I been able to navigate around it? But there are government programs and systems in place that they want to push away the least, the last, and the looked over. They want to forget that they exist. Fort Smith has a beautiful downtown, like the old downtown. And they're trying to revamp it and bring it back up. And, and what they want to do is make it an open container policy to where you can go from bar to bar to bar. And they got live music playing. And they're pushing the least, the last, and the looked over all the way to the railroad tracks and the river as far away as possible. You know, the problem that I have with that is, which I never would have had before listening to the Lord, let alone becoming a Christian, is those are all people that God created and God loves them and God's not pushing them to the railroad tracks and God's not sitting there saying I don't want to look at them in fact God wants attention paid to them and which brings me into the next verses that we looked at where in verse 4 it's like oh no we're going to get into this I hope he doesn't say something Calvinist I won't because Calvin was a man but I'll read the word. In verse 4 it says, Just as He, God, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having uh-oh, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. He chose us before the foundation of the world. I love Charles Spurgeon's comment on this. He he said, he had to have chosen me then, because if he waited until I was born, there's no way he'd choose me. And I really related with that comment. I'm like, yeah. But he did. He had a purpose. And it comes down in the word, having predestined us. And so don't worry, you're not going to get a whole predestination thing. But it's in God's Word, and it says it. And this isn't for us to do seminary and have theological debates on. This is for us to look at and see how important we are to God and how much He loves us. Predestined, if we really look at that word, 
He had a purpose from the very beginning. He chose to create man. And he had a purpose knowing that he would put a way for us to come back into a right relationship with him. We don't have to take it further than that. You can if you want to, but you're probably just wasting your time. If you're here and you have a relationship with Christ and you're, you're struggling with, well, am I the elect? Well, yeah, you are because you have a relationship with Christ. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you're like, well, that's not fair. I want to be one of the elect. Then come, ask Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Surrender to him and you can be one of the elect. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then fine, don't. Well, that's not fair. We go back and forth on this forever. The bottom line is when I read this, I see that God chose us in Him. We are created in His image and in His likeness. All these college sports players need to probably figure that out because they they literally called it the name, image, and likeness program for them to get paid for somebody to use them and advertise. And I'm like, my name... My image and my likeness all belong to God and should only reflect God. So if anybody gets paid for it, it should be God. That's a whole other story, and I I have a strict timeline. (laughs) But he chose us before the foundation of the world. That's huge. There's something else that's in here, and this is... I've talked to people, and I'm not telling you this is the greatest characteristic of God, but not doctrinally. Personally, I believe it is, because I think every other characteristic falls under this. And it's crazy that we were created in His image and His likeness, and He calls us to this, that we should be holy. Why? All the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, or as I like to refer to them, because some people need specified instructions, not just implied, the first and the second. So they don't go, well, that's old. We don't need it anymore. I'm like, maybe you don't. I do. I need it all. But from, from the very beginning, God was saying, be holy because I, your God, am holy. And you're looking at each other and maybe looking up here at me and you're like, um, you're not doing that very well. We're working towards it. We're to become holy. It says the words even here that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And as you get to the end of Ephesians, we we get that that great look of it. Husbands, don't worry. I'm not going to hit you with this too bad tonight. But speaking of the body of Christ, the church, that Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she should be holy and without blemish. That's us. That as we allow Christ to continue working in our lives, we get to the point where we can be presented to him wholly and without blemish. From the beginning, God knew we were going to mess everything up. He wanted us, 
but he knew we were going to mess everything up. So he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And this adoption is, is not how we would maybe look at normal adoption if, as we would see it today. If you were to go out and say, well, I, I'm going to adopt a child. And you adopt a child, and I, I know, especially today, you may even adopt a teenager, which would be a wonderful thing because you want to talk about the people that feel like they're the most looked over. A teenager that's still in the system because they have no chance and nobody loves them. But it's a sermon for another day. When we get adopted, we become heirs right then. You adopt a a child, they may become an heir at some point, but they're not already an heir, ready to receive all of those things. I love it. There's been a lot of talk going on. It's been less recent now, but there's still things going on with the royal family. I had to look at it when there's a church right next to our house, and they, they have one of those LCD signs that they put everything that is unbiblical on to try and entice people into the church so that they can learn everything that's not written in the Bible. And driving up, the, the, the newest one that I had seen, and this was right after the Queen's death was, I guess it's, it is King Charles, I think, that took over. I don't care. That's how much. But it was like, God bless King Charles, the keeper of our faith. And I was like, whoa, you guys are doomed. He keeps your faith? He doesn't keep my faith. But everybody wants to talk about the, the royal family. They, they catch the news. But we're the royal family. We're the children of the king. The real one. Not the one that man brought in. The king. The one that is on the throne. We're his children. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And when God adopted us as sons and daughters, just so you guys don't feel left out, by Jesus Christ, that, that adoption, we automatically, we had rights to the inheritance. Lastly, what I will hit with this before we move forward is, is one of the most important parts. As Paul is speaking about God the Father, he makes sure that we understand, yes, God loves us. And yes, he had a purpose from the very beginning with us. And yes, he, he chose us before the foundation of the world. Why have we been brought into this adoption? What, what, what is the purpose of all of this? According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which he made us accepted in the Beloved. It's for His glory. It's for His pleasure. It's for Him. For His praise. So anytime we're doing any ministry or anytime we're sitting and doing a good thing, which would be, let, let's sit and let's, let's talk about the Lord and what He's done in our lives or, or what He's got us doing. Well, the purpose is that God be glorified in that. That God be praised in that. Because He's the one that needs the praise. We wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for the fact that he has allowed us into his ministry. I'm being careful not to get ahead of myself. So verse 7, we'll pick up. In him, 
We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So, sometimes this this area gets difficult for for people. I'm not 100% sure why, but I do know that they stumble over how often you keep having to say, in Him, in Him, of Him, His good pleasure. What we really need to pick up on is, and this is, if I said this was going to be a really encouraging message. If we were to have a non-encouraging section of it, it would be this. Straighten up. It's, I wasn't saying sit up straight. A couple people did that. That was great. That's like some old... Straighten up! (laughs) That was great. Straighten up and act like you're part of the royal family. You know, the the royal family is always in the news, the the English royal family. And then there's a couple of them that are... They've made mistakes throughout their history, and, and, and they bring a bad name to the royal family, and so they get pushed off to the side and everything. Well, we're the true royal family. And we are to reflect our king. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And so when, when we read through this and, and we see in him we have redemption through his blood. In him is where he had purposed. That he will gather us together in one. All things will be in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. And in Him also we have obtained an inheritance. It's literally said over 30 times. I can't count real well because I'm from Arkansas. So I had somewhere between 35 and 40, but I was like, we'll just stick with over 30 times. Throughout Ephesians, you have in Him, by Him, or through Him. And so the message is, you didn't save yourself. God saved you. You're not sanctifying yourself. The Lord is doing that. It's not because you need to be glorified. It's because He needs to be glorified. None of it is about us. All of it is about the Lord. And that needs to be the humbling received message that it is. We need to humble ourselves. God doesn't, doesn't want sacrifices. He wants a broken and contrite heart. He wants a humbleness in us to know. I I think the greatest thing that he ever hears from us is when we throw our hands up in the air and go, well, I have no idea what to do or how to get through this. I need you. And in those times, it's like, wow, if you would just realize you actually need me for everything. I love, listen, I believe it was Jack Bielham who taught there's lots of things i love that he teaches one is like you have examples i have the word of god that's classic line and he needs to be quoted for that all the time but another one is he's like you know 
sometimes people come in and sit down with me and they struggle to pray to the Lord about the hard things in life, as if he's not big enough to deal with these big issues that we have. But he's like, even more often than that, the problem that we never seem to address is the fact that we don't bring the small issues to God as if we're big enough to handle them without him. Well, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. That would be Jesus. The forgiveness of sins. In fact, if it wasn't for his law, we wouldn't even know that we needed forgiveness for sins. And if it weren't for the Holy Spirit revealing that to us at some point in our lives, we really wouldn't know it. I've got a friend that the Holy Spirit told me, hey, talk to him. It was one of those times. I had a water park. I talked to him. He's got shorts that say, Ranger. You've got something common to talk to him about. I'm like, I'm not talking to that guy. And then that guy literally sits right next to me at the same table that my wife and I are sitting at. I'm like, how rude. (laughs) That was the best thing about the pandemic is when they were like, stay six feet apart. I'm like, please, thank you. (laughs) And then people weren't doing it, but now I had an excuse to be like, hey, man, back up. I don't need you in my pocket. But I eventually did talk to him, and it's been a long four- to five-year relationship that I have had with him, and, and I try to do, do what the Lord tells me to do, to, to not beat him over the head with the Bible, but just show Jesus and show love. And he's one of the people that I constantly hear him saying, I'm, I'm just not going to ask for forgiveness for anything that I've ever done because I don't feel like I've ever done anything that needs forgiving. I'm like, dude, you're married, right? He's like, well, of course you know that. I'm like, do you never ask your wife for forgiveness? And he's like, well, you know I have done that. I'm like, you know, he, like he realizes there's a, he's just not ready to surrender. He knows that there is a higher power. He's, he won't surrender. He won't ask for forgiveness. I'm like, man, that's, that's step one, realizing that you need to do that, especially to God. But Jesus comes forth and he redeems us through his blood. But it's according to the riches of his grace. Grace is one of those things that is really hard to explain to people that haven't had to give it. Or let me rephrase that. That haven't yet given it. Now I remember my first couple of years as a senior pastor, I was talking to one of my board members because I was pouring out a lot of grace on a particular person. And it was wearing me thin. And I, I learned firsthand for the first time, grace costs somebody. The person that's giving it pays a price. And us, in our own humanness, can only give so much before we become bankrupt. Because we, we really don't naturally have a whole lot of grace. But we have unlimited resources of it where we tap into the Lord. Because, Lord, you've got to help me. Like, I don't have any more grace to give. I probably ran out a long time ago, and what I'm giving really isn't grace. It's probably grief and a hard time. But then if we were to look in the mirror, which we fail to do so often, 
if we could only realize and understand the riches of God's grace, how much He gives, and He never runs out. He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. You know, none of us are wise until we seek the Lord and have His wisdom. Prudence, if we were to look at it, would be to have good judgment is the way I look at it. I'm simple. I still write in crayons. But we need this wisdom and this prudence. And and God sends His only Son to redeem us through His blood, giving us the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, that we could actually live a life that would have a purpose and a meaning. And when we ask for wisdom from God, and when we receive prudence and decisions that we have to make from the Lord, and we start living for Him, we come to find out that that purpose is literally His purpose. We hear it so many different times. Dying to self. I love it. My, my pastor's wife, she's Sicilian. So sometimes she can be a little scary. Like I drove up in the driveway one time and had the emergency lights on because, well, Pastor Ben flipped them on. He's like, hey, scare her. And I had a Crown Vic and I had the lights in there. He turned them on and about gave his wife a heart attack because she thought that he had a heart attack and that's why emergency vehicles were in the driveway. And then as she gets closer, she realizes it's me. And she swears she didn't say this, but I was like, no, you did. She said, Chris, if you ever do that again, I will slit your throat. I was like, oh, that sounds so real coming from a Sicilian woman that's like five foot. She's like, I, I, I wouldn't have threatened you like that. And I'm like, I don't think it was a threat. I think it was a promise. But she said, look at opportunities and try to find opportunities to die to yourself. And you'll be a lot happier about it. When somebody's really getting on your nerves and they're poking your buttons, remind yourself, this is a time to die. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to say that phrase, Carla, but I agree with you. It is a time to die to self. And look at what God's will may be in that. Look at all that Jesus has done that we could be in this position. Having made known to us the mystery of His will, that that mystery is Jesus, the gospel. Like, I love it when, it when it pops up. The big mystery is not a mystery to us. We know it. We've heard it. We see it. But according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together and one all things in Christ. Did you know that God is really concerned, and especially Jesus is really concerned. I don't have time to get into the Trinity to explain it to you, and I wouldn't be able to do it anyway, because like Billy Graham, I can admit, I just accept it. We're moving on from that. He expects and wants us to be in unity. And when Christ tore the veil... And established the church. 
He established it in unity. And we, we have a responsibility to maintain that unity. And it's great to have conversations where we sit back and we look at the Word and we go, well, I, I, I kind of think it means this. And somebody else says, well, you know, I, I kind of look at it this way. Now, there are people that go outside of doctrine and it's heresy and it's ridiculousness. But, but in the bottom line, we've got to stop wrapping ourselves around the axle about things that have nothing to do with salvation. Or, as Chuck Smith would say, don't major in the minors. Major in the majors, in the major things. One of the things that I, I love about trail life is going out there with all of the dads. And on one weekend, there was 20 of us out there. And I came back from this trip out in the woods, which was crazy because there's a lot of little boys out there screaming because they're in the middle of the woods. What else are you going to do but see how loud your voice can get at 4 in the morning? But we would sit around the campfire, and there's times that us dads get to talk. And we, we talk about what's going on in our lives. We talk about the, the struggles that we may be having. We talk about the, the things that the Lord has helped us overcome. We talk about how the Lord is working in our lives. Sometimes we talk about theology. Oh, no. Sometimes we talk about the Word, and we have differing opinions, but we all walk away really filled up. And I noticed that out of at least 20 men that were out there, I was like, there was a minimum of 13 different churches represented. And of those churches that were represented there, there had to at least been 10 that I probably would not be able to sit through an entire service in. Just because it's not, it's, not, it's not my thing. I mean, I'd be able to do it, but I'd be like, I'm not coming back. But I know this. I'm confident that those 20 men are going to be in heaven with their names written in the book of life at the end and that we were able to get along and be unified even though we had differing opinions on things and so in the fullness of the times we were being looked to be gathered together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him so we also we have that and I'm running out of time so I'm not going to get into it but those which have already passed on and those of us that are still here when he comes to get us We're going to be brought together. In Him we've also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of whose glory? His glory. And then the last thing that I will leave you with, with, this is my favorite part, this is the most encouraging. Verse 13, "In, In Him... You also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. He's the seal. That's so great to to, to be sealed. And there's different illustrations for that if we look at it in in the times that it was the the tomb was sealed and they look at how that stone was rolled over and probably had ropes stretching across and wax seals at every tide and it was sealed no robber could break through that no human could do it but god could and that seal 
who we're sealed with. No one can take us away. Now, I've, I've heard I love this song, and we even talked about ministry for me started really at my grandmother's funeral, but in Christ Alone is one of my favorite songs, and I love no scheme of man, or no, and no, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Nothing, no outside force can take me from him. But I've read the Bible. I've read Hebrews. I've read Romans. And I see evidence that I can. We have the ability to walk away. But there is no power in this universe, once we are sealed, that can take us from it. We're sealed in that. It's a guarantee of our inheritance. And I'll leave you with this. This this guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. If we look at other translations of the Bible, we, we see that it is the earnest. And they still use earnest money in, in real estate today. Where you're, you're giving a little bit of money for it, saying, hey, I'm, I'm being honest that I have every intention of purchasing this home. And so, that earnest, that guarantee of our inheritance, that's the Holy Spirit. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit is there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in us at all times if we would just shut up and be still and listen. It takes us doing that, not quenching Him. Regardless of any theology that you have on on filling and refilling of the Holy Spirit, at, at, at bare minimum, we quench the Holy Spirit and need to come back to the understanding of, man, I need to get back in line. I need to get right. I need to be refilled. I need to get back to listening. But if we were to look at the Greek word, that Greek word is used today for engagement ring. And so, when I look at the Holy Spirit, and this, this I, I love this. You guys are probably like, that's, he is from Arkansas. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. I realize that the, the Holy Spirit is like God's engagement ring to me of the wedding day with Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. And so I, I have choices that I can make with that. I can hide that engagement ring. I can not let everybody else see that because I, I've, I've seen women do that before where it's like, well, I can't let... My parents know that I'm actually engaged yet, so they slip the ring off the finger and put it in their pocket, or they don't want their certain friends to know because maybe the guy that they love is from a different walk of life. Maybe he looks like me. And they're like, I don't want my friends to know that I'm marrying that. And they hide that engagement ring. There are others that that take what it is as the most precious thing that they've ever had, and they want to show it to everybody. I have a Facebook account, but I'm never on it, so I don't know. But I remember there were times just like people would snapshot their, their dinner plate. Like, look what I'm eating. I'm like, I don't care. But as soon as someone would get engaged, they're like, look at this rock I have on my finger. Sometimes you'd have to look really close. That's the first one I gave my wife. You had to look really close. But then there's other times that I've 
walked around. And so that, that's when you're doing it right. You're honoring that engagement ring. You're, you're showing it off, but, but in a classy manner. There was this thing that was really popular when I was growing up called a cubic zirconian. It was a fake diamond. And I, I've watched people run around with these big, like, 18-carat cubic zirconians that cost $42. And they're like, look at how much he loves me. And I'm like, oh, girl. <sighs> he hadn't had a job in three years. Yeah, and that wasn't an inheritance. That came out of the gumball machine. And so we could cheapen it. In ways that we could cheapen it, I know you guys have just recently studied is if you look at First Corinthians fourteen, we could roll around on the floor acting all wild. I'm filled with the spirit. Like you're a cubic zirconian engagement ring. That's what you are. That that's what you are. You're you're cheapening what God has done and who the Holy Spirit is. And so we have these three options. We could we could hide it. I came out of a denomination that hid it. During praise and worship, you, it was like mandatory for men to put their hands in their pockets so that they wouldn't raise. Heaven forbid, you actually lift your hands in the air and let some tears flow. We don't hide it. We express it. The Holy Spirit puts an impression on your heart. You make an expression of that impression. That means anything. When he says, hey, talk to that person in line at Walmart. Make an expression. Hello. It's an easy one. I know it's really hard. <laughs> I don't like doing it either. Or we could cheapen it and act like we're making expressions. And the Holy Spirit maybe do it. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard people get mad at God and they're like, he told me to buy that house. I'm like, and, and now he's not selling the other one and I'm going bankrupt. I'm like, are you literally mad at God? You're saying he told, like, come on, get real with yourself. I'm mad at God. Maybe he did tell you to sell your house. Maybe he wants you to be as broke as you are right now for a reason. I don't know. I don't know the, what God's reason is for everything. Ask Jonah if he could figure it out. Probably knows now. But I remember him still scoffing under a tree, all pasty white and milky looking. Too angry to care. We don't always get the reason. But one of the things we have is we, we have God from before the foundation of time choosing to create us with a purpose to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. And Jesus Christ stepping forward and sacrificing His own life and redeeming us, purchasing us back with His blood that we would do works according to His will, that we would one day, for the praise of His glory, be brought back together all in one. And as we walk this earth, we have the promise of knowing, hey, the Holy Spirit is with me. I can get through this. I have access to the inheritance, and I have access to all spiritual things in Christ. And... I don't know about your version of Christ that you see, but I don't see the little dainty hippie that sits on a wall in some churches. Not in this one, I see. 
But I see the carpenter that hauled the giant log back. I see strength that is tender. And we have all of that at our fingertips because we belong to him. We are in him. And we have been sealed with the guarantee. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I, I thank you for your word and, Lord, the opportunity to be able to share what you have shown me with others. And, Lord, I just pray that for each of us here, that it has meant something and it has done something. And, Lord, that you can use that in our lives. That we can apply it to our lives to be used by you and for you, for your purposes, that we might win some. Lord, we just long for the day that you bring us home to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's pray for Chris, too. We're going to lay hands on him. and Lord, we lift up Chris to you. We pray that you bless him with all the traveling he's doing. Bless his message at Calvary Savannah on Sunday. We pray for his family, Lord. We pray you continue to use him in Arkansas. We pray for the fellowship there and for James's teaching. And we pray, Lord, that most importantly, you would be magnified and glorified in his life. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you didn't get your prayer in, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. Chris doesn't know this yet, but he'll be up here to answer all your questions. <laughs> if you want to interrogate him, he's going to be up here. You can learn more about him.